0: Kathy Hart was part of the most successful morning radio show in Chicago, and it was successful for 20 years on 101.9 The Mix. Now she's living in Montana, and she talks about her radio career and how she's changed. This is from a live stream that we did. How did you first get into radio?
1: Oh my gosh, it goes way back because I grew up listening to Chicago radio, WLS, back in the days of Larry Lou Jack and... Bob Surratt and Fred Winston and Saturday mornings before we could go out and do anything we had to clean the house so I would always just listen to WLS clean in the house and even at night uh doing my homework I would be listening to WLS and I just thought it was the coolest job I love music but I have no skills for singing or playing music so I just enjoyed listening to it and I think the seed was planted then growing up, listening to WLS. And then when I was, I I had moved to Wisconsin while I was in high school and I went to a state fair and a radio station was broadcasting live and all my friends are, you know, off playing games and riding rides. And I'm just sitting there. And the funny thing, it was like an AM station doing farm reports, but I was still so mesmerized by the fact that they were broadcasting live. And then I decided to go to Columbia college, downtown Chicago and pursue radio. And that's how it all began. And then you, so you majored
0: in radio at Columbia radio broadcasting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I actually only went for one year because between my freshman and sophomore year, I ended up getting an internship in Rockford. So I was smart enough to know, to not try to get started in Chicago And I went to a smaller radio station because I was just that nerd that was doing everything around the radio station. I'm not kidding. I like was emptying the garbage and anything I could do to just be active and be there. And that summer, I actually worked for free and it was a stepping stone station. So a lot of people kind of got their start there. And then once they got talented, a little more skill, they would go on to a bigger market. And there was one day where the program director said, um, Achenbach, because that's my maiden name, Achenbach, I need you to go on the air. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, two people had called in sick that day and he had nobody. And I I was like, "Uh, uh, uh, okay. And he didn't have a choice but to put me on the air. And so that's how my broadcasting career began. And I ended up staying there, I think, for about a year until I got hired in Milwaukee to do an overnight show. But that's that's how it all began. What station was it in Rockford? Does it still exist? Um, The frequency exists. It was W.Y.F.E. I think it was ninety five point five. They had an AM FM combo. So when they did hire me. For three thirty five an hour, I was for a time working, how did it, I was doing noon to five on their country station, WKKN. <laughs> and then I was doing six to 11 on the rock station, WIFE. Yeah. And so initially you said you were not paid for how long were, were you not paid? So I was an intern for the summer. And then when he put me on the air, I decided to not go back to Columbia because my whole Point in going there was to get a job in radio. And I had reached out to some people in radio, including Terry Hemmert. She was one of my teachers at Columbia. And I said, what should I do? She said, I, you can always come back to school. You might not ever get a chance at your first radio job. So take your first radio job and then decide what you want to do. So that's what I did. And then my career just took off and I didn't see a need to go back to school
0: Well, you know, I mean, talking to you now, you have such a pleasant voice because I heard you for so many years on the air here in Chicago. But um, when you were first starting out on the air, did anybody give you any particular advice?
1: Yes, because I was terrified that first day I went on the air. And Brent Alberts is the guy that hired me. He, I think, just retired last year. Just a super great guy. And I'm forever indebted for him giving me, even though it wasn't by choice. uh, But he did end up hiring me full time after that. So, he told me to, when you're on the air, don't think about you being on the radio and talking to however many people, put a picture of someone, you know, right on the control board by the microphone. So when you turn on that microphone, you're talking to that person. And he, I think I I ended up putting a picture of my sister because I knew that I would be more myself if if I was talking to Thinking, I was talking to my sister. It was great advice. It really helped.
0: And then when you started out, and then when you were a blockbuster in the mornings here in Chicago, how did you did you change it all? Your delivery and so forth. Like, what did you learn throughout the years?
1: No, if anything, Margaret, it was uh, when I first started. I would now remember this was hmm, early '80s, mid '80s. You know, it was still, especially when I went to a top forty station in Milwaukee some of these guys were on the air. Hey, I'm Cam Michaels. You know, we all had different names. That's when I changed my name to Kathy Hart because Achenbach is not a very radio friendly name. And I just remember we called them pukers. Yeah. And I would change my voice a little bit because I, I knew I was on the radio and then it just, it wasn't natural. So I just kind of went back to talking to my sister and and being myself.
0: And so that's what you maintained all those years.
1: So what we heard,
0: what we heard in Chicago, that was basically how you sounded early on.
1: I hope so. I mean, I've, I've just always, it got to the point where, especially doing a morning show where you're talking with a whole group of people, there were times I just, I forgot I was on the air. In fact, a couple of times I swore. (laughs) Did anybody dump it? Yes. Same thing happened to Melissa we are traffic girl. Uh she swore a couple of times cuz so we just we get so caught up in the conversation and <laughs> a couple of times we swore. It was like oops or I would overshare, which I did a lot. Because you just you get caught up in the moment and you forget how many thousands of people are listening and you're just yeah. it's one of the things I one of the reasons I think our show was so successful is we were real and we were having real conversations. And sometimes we would get caught up in it and forget that people were actually listening.
0: (laughs) But the thing is, you know, back then, um, because I also grew up on radio, you know, here in Chicago broadcast radio, but, you know, back then oversharing, maybe the definition was different than now because people are online Mm oversharing. So, I mean, how was it defined back then? How would you consider back then?
1: I would probably, I'm trying to think of a specific example when We talked about my dating life after I got divorced. Uh, I probably overshared a little too much information, not realizing that young children might be listening. All right. Or just oversharing, you know, a couple of things. I may have overshared some things about my kids that I probably should have kept private. Nothing too crazy, but it was just, it was a learning curve because I was the first one on the show to have kids and again, it's like you're sitting around, you know, with your buddies having a conversation, yeah. and it, that was a little bit of a learning curve to be careful to not share too much.
0: And so I wonder, you know, when digital came into, because first when you first started in radio, and even here in Chicago when you were on that big station, was the internet? Did the internet play a part
1: at all? I do recall, I, and I don't know how many years into the show we started getting email. So thank goodness, because our listeners were the best and provided so much information. So we were getting email from listeners. Then we were able to have computers in the studio so we could go online and you know go to whatever website. I do remember back in the day when we could only have one website open. If you wanted to go to another website, it wiped out the one that you were on. So we couldn't have all these pages open. You could only have one page open. So yeah, we went through a lot of technology advances.
0: What was that like? What was that like as an on-air personality to go from just broadcasting and then, you know, so much media?
1: You know, it was easy to be a distraction. So we kind of had to be reined in a little bit with, it's like, hey, we need to focus on the show. We need to focus on the content. We need to focus on the next break. Don't be distracted by what the Osbournes are doing. I remember that show was really popular at some point. And, or, you know, don't go onto all these different websites and get information on celebrities. A lot of it was show prep, but sometimes it was easy to get distracted by that.
0: Hmm, Okay.
1: And then what did you think about, um, you know, when you were starting
0: broadcast and the listeners were just out there and maybe they might write letters or see you on the street. And then when digital came around, the listeners had more instant communication with you. What was that like?
1: I think it actually was mostly beneficial because when we were talking on the air, especially when we were able to get texts, um, that was beneficial because it was instant. If we're on the air talking and somebody couldn't get through because I can't remember how many phone lines we had, maybe eight or 10. And so many people are trying to get through and they couldn't get through on the phone. Then they could email us or text us. So we had all these sources of listeners providing their story. So it really allowed our producer to pick the best stories from all these different sources.
0: Yeah, and what I noticed about in some radio shows is they create stories you know what I mean like they'll say they'll have a listener but it won't necessarily be an authentic listener but it seems like your show was authentic
1: we didn't go there we knew Chicago listeners because we were Chicago listeners we grew up listening to Chicago radio and we respected Chicago audience you can't am I allowed to swear yes (laughs) you can't pull shit over on them. And we didn't want to there's 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 just no way. Did we embellish some stories? Sure, we're storytellers. That's what you do. But we did not have fake callers, and we had an excellent producer, so he would first hear their story and say, "Okay, well, don't talk about this part. Focus on this. this is this is your story." So he he was brilliant. He was a big reason for our success.
0: Gosh, that's great! Yeah, I did meet him a lot many years ago when you were there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and so what was it like to work on a blockbuster show and have A-list
1: celebrities wanting to be on your show? I'm not gonna lie, that was one of the coolest parts of the job. I was going through photos. Um, My dad passed away recently, and I was going through just all my photos on my phone and. I saw a bunch of photos with like Melissa McCarthy and Will Ferrell and Robert Downey Jr. and Kevin Costner and Lenny Kravitz and Pink and Oprah and just all the, I'm like, dang, that was so cool. And it it was really fun interviewing them because the one thing that we did well was Get a lot of interesting information out of celebrities. We didn't ask them the standard questions. And I think that's one of the reasons we were the go to in Chicago, even more so than some of the TV stations, because we really weren't cliche in asking them questions. We tried to really change it up. A perfect example is when Lenny Kravitz came in the studio. Man, I was crushing on Lenny Kravitz so bad. And So we came in the studio and we're like, okay, how can we make this good and interesting to him? So he doesn't just come in and you know, blah blah blah, answer the same questions and it's boring. We don't want it to be boring for the artist. So I went really deep into research and I found an article in Ebony magazine from like ten years prior where he claimed to be the best grilled cheese maker, um, grilled cheese sandwich maker. So we got all the fixins to make grilled cheese. And he comes in the studio and he's like, what is this? And we're like, dude, you're going to make us your grilled cheese sandwich. And so we would do stuff like that and just keep it really interesting.
0: That is so exciting. And that's what I love about live radio and well-produced and well, you know, put together radio and gosh. Yeah. And so I think, I think you guys were the go-to, but were you ever on TV in Chicago?
1: Not officially on a regular basis, we would do guest appearances on TV, Windy City Live. I remember being on Windy Windy City Live a couple of times and WGN or the the TV stations would come in if we had a big guest and and maybe they would film it. And what was that like? What What did you think of TV compared to radio? I didn't like TV because it was so precise and timed out, you know, to the second you could be getting into a really good bit and, and really getting some juicy stuff. And you have to cut to break with radio. We had the freedom to keep that going. And plus still- I, mean, I had to wear makeup. I had to worry about my wrinkles, all that stuff. So when you went to Milwaukee, what was that? Like, how long were you in Milwaukee? So I got hired to do an overnight shift at a top 40 station and going from Rockford to Milwaukee was a big step up. I think it was market 130 something to market 26. And however, I was doing the midnight to six shift and there's a learning curve and an adjustment period of doing an overnight shift. I will never forget the night I fell asleep on the air. It was between four and four 30 in the morning. I had gone out the night before, before my shift. And so I didn't get the usual sleep and I was so tired. It was a Pat Benatar song. <laughs> and this is back in the day when we had cartridges for songs before digital. And, I remember just laying my head down on the counter. I'm like, I'm just going to rest a little bit. Mm -hmm. Typically, the sound of nothing, like dead air, would alert me awake. When I didn't hear something, I was so tired that day. I just, I I fell asleep for 45 minutes. Oh, my God. Did the alarm go off or
0: anything? I mean, no.
1: So we had an alarm on the AM station. Uh, if if there was dead air, there was an alarm that would go off for the AM station, but not the FM. So the, the funny, not so funny thing about that story is when I woke up, I grabbed a cart. I think it was a song by the cars and I put it in and I'm shaking too. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's almost five o'clock in the morning. That means the PD who did the morning show had to be listening, but I was like, wait a minute, the hotline wasn't ringing. Even if it was ringing, I wouldn't have heard it because hotlines don't ring. They don't make an audible noise in the studio. And I was like, wait a minute, was he not listening? So he comes in and I thought for sure I'm fired. I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And he's like, hey, Kathy, how's it going? I'm like, good. How's, How's it going? How's your morning? Good. He didn't say anything. Nobody ever... Found out that I fell asleep for forty five minutes did did you ever admit that to anybody else layers later? No, because new owners came in and bought the radio station and fired everybody. Okay, So I was actually because I was willing to do the overnight show, I was the only person that they kept on.
0: Have you okay, that's interesting.
1: So you were not fired early in your career. That was the first time I was fired, and I think I was off air. For about a month, I went to a temporary agency to just get a temp job until I could get another job in radio. And I remember the only temp job they had at the time was going to grocery stores and putting up displays for cheese. So (laughs) I'm like, this is not good. Then I ended up getting hired as a receptionist at Capital Bankers Live. May I help you? And I was right across from the president of the company's office. And he said, if he heard that phone ring more than three times, I was fired. And that never happened. So I did that job for maybe about a month. And then when the news station had come in, got settled, they were like, okay, we need jocks. Let's bring Kathy back on the air to do overnights. So I got back into radio. But yeah, when you were fired, how did you deal with that back then? Was it hard? It was devastating, even though New owners came in and it was by no fault of my own or anybody else that was on the air. It was a great lesson in radio. And when new owners come in and they're changing the format, they can't keep the same jocks typically because, you know, you're a top 40 jock or you're a rock and roll jock or an oldies jock or a country jock. And that's how it was back then. So I was really fortunate to get rehired.
0: Yeah, no, when you were okay, so when you were in in Rockford, and then you know the people didn't show up, and then you got on the air. How did you keep your success going? You know, because there are some successful people who didn't get to stay on the air. So that's when
1: I was backstage. I was still working in Rockford. I was backstage. I think it was Pat Benatar at a Pat Benatar concert. No, it was Billy Idol. That's right. I was backstage at a Billy Idol concert and there were people there from the Milwaukee station. So I started talking to the PD and asked him if they were hiring because I knew I couldn't stay in a market the size of Rockford my whole career. You know, I always knew that I had to go higher and higher. And that's when I decided, so I went to Milwaukee, but then I went back to Rockford because I got a midday position and that was big. So I was able to work at WZOK, different station. WZOK was the number one station. So that was great experience. I got work as um, promotion director or doing, doing promotions and man, a lot of, a lot of stories (laughs) at that station because I learned now I'm dating myself again, but do you remember the days of the radio station vans where they had the boom, the big antenna that you had to put up to broadcast live Mm -hmm. So they let me drive the station van to go do a promotion, and I had now the the antenna wasn't all the way up, but it was up high enough where you cannot drive through a Burger King drive through. <laughs> I found out the hard way. <laughs> so I'm going through the drive through. All of a sudden, I hear this loud noise. I'm like, so I get out of the van, and I'm like, oh, I didn't clear. Oh no. Fortunately it did not damage the boom, did a little bit of damage to the uh the drive through. Yeah, but understand. I went in and I'm like this is my first time ever driving the radio station van and they were a listener of WZOK so they were like it's okay, we won't say anything. <laughs> well, you know, when um, when you said on the oh sorry, go ahead. No, so that was quite a learning experience.
0: Well, when you said on the Aaron Rockford, is it that you
1: first um
0: got that break. And then the PD thought, oh, wow, you do sound good. So I'm going to keep you on the air. And then did you send your demos? Like, how did you, what was the mechanics of, and I'm going to ask you about Brian
1: Peck after this,
0: but. Okay. Yeah. So there's just so much competition, you know, back
1: then. So. You know what, honestly, Margaret, I, the, I think the reason that I even got hired as an intern, because even that is competitive. I was just willing to do everything. I had a great attitude. I knew I had to pay my dues. I did not go in anywhere feeling entitled or feeling like I was beneath taking out the garbage or I'm like, no, I I don't care. Put me to work doing anything. I just want to be involved. I was also, I was always just really happy and I would go talk to the salespeople. I would talk to the receptionist and I, I people liked being around me because I was, I was just carefree and happy and loving life and having a lot of fun.
0: So do you think that's a key to success? Like what advice do you have for people who want to broadcast or be a talent or whatever?
1: You know, I, I think that the younger generation, it, I just feel like they, they're a little
0: entitled. Except for and, Hannah, Hannah Brummer, who I interviewed. She's on the air here in, in the oh. She's fantastic. Brian Peck told me to interview her. So oh, good. She's fantastic. So, she's not typical like that at all.
1: Good, and that's
0: why she's going to get on the air. She's she is on the air. She's on the air. She's loving it. She's with Eddie. You remember Eddie and Jobo? She's
1: yeah, got a show. she's
0: got a morning show with him. With Eddie,
1: very cool. So I mean, attitude gets you so far, and just having a good attitude, a positive attitude, being really flexible—that's key, and Just not putting yourself up on this pedestal where you feel like you're above doing this or that, or you feel entitled to this or that. Um, You're a grunt and you got to pay your dues and you have to work hard and talent. eh, Yeah, that helps. (laughs) You have to have a little bit of talent and a little bit of luck. But honestly, attitude goes a long, long way. And so now speaking of attitude, um,
0: Brian Pack has an amazing attitude. He's the one that suggested I interview you. Of course, I want to interview you for years. And what was it like being on the air with him? Didn't you have a show with him? Yeah. So
1: that's when I had moved to North Carolina. That was a big step too in my radio career because I was dating a guy. We were working at WZOK and WROK, the AM-FM, and I was dating a guy that was working on the am And he got a job offer in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I thought, North Carolina? Oh, that's too far away from home. I am, mm -mm, no way. I'm a Midwestern girl. I'm staying here. And then I thought about it. A, I didn't want to break up with my boyfriend. We had a great relationship. And I was like, okay, I have a great job here at WZOK, but you know, Raleigh's a different market, it's a better market. So I ended up just knocking on doors. And I got a job in an oldies station, which was kind of funny because I was hearing these songs for the first time. (laughs) So they weren't oldies to me. It was like, Oh, these are good songs. Then I had been working in Raleigh for maybe about a year. And Brian was working on the top 40 station G one Oh five. And I believe it was his traffic person that they had to replace So he, I think they called me up and they were like, would you be willing to do traffic during the morning show? And then during the rest of your eight hour day, write copy, write commercials. Uh, I I thought, yeah, I mean, I'd prefer to do something more on the air, but I knew with my personality and Brian's personality that we would really click. And sure enough, we did. So it became the Brian and Kathy show. And that was my first experience doing mornings. So I have, Brian Peck to thank for getting me into mornings.
0: Yeah, I think Brian. a lot of people have Brian Peck to thank for everything because he's Mr. Connected, Mr. Radio, Mr. Talent, everything. Mr. Yeah. PD.
1: Yep, good guy. So he was the program director, and eventually I became the music director of the radio station. Man, we had so much fun. This is back in the day where Paola was a little, you know, they they would kind of turn a blind eye. And uh, I'm not saying that we did that, but well, no, actually
0: just for the record, Brian, I interviewed Brian for a long time on the record on the air and he never took payola and he talked about all about payola. Yes. Payola was very common back then.
1: Taking money. Yes. But then it, it got to be a fine line between taking a trip to the Grammys if you add a certain record. So. Right. We didn't do any of that, but we had some great experiences and we did go to the Grammys and I remember this is another funny story. We were broadcasting live in Jamaica. This is when the Jamaica Board of Tourism really wanted to promote people coming to Jamaica because uh, Americans at that time felt that it was unsafe to go to Jamaica. So they had a whole bunch of radio stations from across the country come and broadcast live. So I'm still young and Inexperienced. And the very first night we got there, we go to the swim up bar. And, you know, I wasn't a big drinker, but when in Rome. So I start drinking these rum drinks and way too many rum drinks, way too many. I got so drunk. Brian, I believe he had to carry me. I don't know. I don't remember anything. Brian would probably have to give you the details. He had to carry me back to my room. Then the next morning, I barely woke up in time to do the live broadcast. Thank God it was radio. And I remember a picture of me with the microphone and I'm sitting on the chair and I'm just like, Ugh. well, the woman in charge of this trip was being interviewed by us this morning. And she comes in, this is off the air. She comes in and she was like, um, yeah, Kathy, we are sorry to say th- this was a, a week trip. We're broadcasting live for seven days, five days, but there for seven days. This is our first day in the air. She's like, um, yeah, based on um, last night and what happened at the bar, mm, we're going to have to um, ban you from any oh, wow. alcohol on this trip
0: Whoa. and ban you from the bars. Oh my gosh. Were you acting really embarrassed? Do you remember what
1: you did? I look at Brian cuz Brian's like my boss technically and I'm like what did I, do? I I was horrified. My face gets all red and she's like no 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 I'm just kidding mine. We loved you.
0: Please come back tonight. <laughs> oh,
1: that's fantastic. I was like, "Oh my gosh." And then Brian actually ended up getting food poisoning and he ended up staying he would do the show the show must go on. And then he would just go back to his room. So here I am in Jamaica by myself. I ended up making some friends with other radio people and doing some fun stuff, but man, what a trip that was and great memories. That sounds fun. So how long were you in North Carolina? I was there for three years. So then did you come to Chicago? No, then I went to Phoenix. So, um, I think it was nationwide, the company. No, that was Ohio. Eh, I can't remember. Somebody in Phoenix uh, asked if I would come to KZZP, had changed format to KVRY, and they were looking for morning shows. And so that's when they hired me in Arizona. My mom lived in Arizona. I figured I'd been in Raleigh long enough. I knew that I didn't want to raise a family and, and grow up, and have my kids grow up. Um, I just, I'm a Midwestern girl even though I went to Arizona, it was still an opportunity for a bigger station doing a morning show. I was the lead. Well, no, I, we were 50, 50, but then that didn't work out. And I'm pretty sure he's not watching this, nor will he hear about it. But my morning show partner was just a drip. No person. Are you sure he won't because it's going online? Well, sorry. Um, but I allegedly, mean, Allegedly it, it, it's, In my opinion, if you're gonna be on a morning show, you've got to share stories. You've got to share your life. And he just he he wasn't really doing that. So it just it didn't work. He was guarded. He was guarded. It it didn't work. And um yeah. And I'm I'm an open book. And when I have a partner, we need to be able to talk about our lives. It can't be just one-sided. So I Ended up going to a rock station, KDKB, doing an afternoon show with uh, um, Paul. Ugh, he was great. He was a great partner. So we were doing like a morning show in the afternoon. And back then, this really wasn't being done. And man, we were really successful. That was an opportunity because I was into sports. I mean, growing up in Chicago, how can you not be into sports, right? Are you a Cubs fan or Sox fan? Cubs. My dad took me to my first Cubs game when I was seven. So I kind of didn't have a choice. I did have a choice, but I grew up a Cubs fan. Been going to games since I was seven. So I was a Cubs fan. I was a Bears fan. Uh, You know, I was just a sports fan. I really enjoyed it. Then I remember wanting to do sports from a female perspective. Now for me, what does that mean to do sports from a female perspective? Exactly. It's totally different. Different nowadays because I give, I don't know if this is a cliche old saying, but I give mad props to female sports anchors and it has changed drastically from when I was in it. Now, again, I had no intention of being a sideline reporter. I wanted to report sports from a female's perspective of not giving statistics. Now I wanted more of the personal story behind the athletes. Yeah. And I, I also would talk about whose ass looked best in baseball pants and mm. ba- um, basketball uniforms suck because you can't really see their ass and football uniforms are even the best. And I was never afraid to just do that on the air. Again, it was a different time and it was fun. I did it all in fun. The athletes actually liked it because they were <laughs> like, Hey, I remember Mark Grace. uh, It was when the Cubs came to Arizona for spring training and I was interviewing Mark Grace and he's like, hey, where do I rate? (laughs) Because I had like a butt book. He's like, where do I rate? I'm like, oh, you're number one. (laughs) Don't you worry, you're number one. And- So they didn't feel bad about being objectified. (laughs) They did not at all, at all. They loved it. Then I actually, I, I got credentials- to go in the locker room of the Phoenix suns games. This is back in the Charles Barkley days. And do you remember Lisa Olson? I think she was with the New England Patriots uh, where she was the only female reporter. And, you know, she demanded to be allowed into the locker room. It shouldn't be gendered. And honestly, I disagreed with that because I had some experience in the locker room and there were a couple of guys, Kevin Johnson was one that he was very, uh, I don't, I don't know if religious is the right word, but he did not want to be in a locker room. This is his job. Mm -hmm. He did not want a female in the locker room where he's dressing. I mean, that's a personal private thing. And so I respected that. I would wait until Kevin Johnson was dressed and then I would go in and get my interviews. Charles Barkley was (laughs) a whole different ballgame. So uh, a couple of stories. I I let him know right off the bat that I felt like I kind of didn't belong in the locker room. I was uncomfortable being a female in the locker room and I was there just to get the personal perspective. And so Charles Barkley tested me to see if I was going to be one of those feminists. Oh, I demand this. I demand that. And, um, I let him know. I said, look, I respect you. I respect your job. This is your place of work. I am just a goofy sports reporter for a rock station asking you like personal questions, what you did on your weekend, because at that point Barkley was brand new to town and, There's that human interest aspect of athletes. So I would let all the other sports reporters ask their serious sports questions, statistics, how did you think you played, blah, all that stuff. And then I would wait and I would ask the interesting questions. And so not that those weren't interesting. Well, they weren't. To me, they were boring. It was statistics and that. So I waited till all the reporters were done asking their questions. Barkley had been there for about three weeks in, in Arizona And I said, so how's it going in Arizona so far? How do you like it? And he looks at me and he goes, yeah, personally, I think there's not enough orgies. And without skipping a beat, I'm like, well, that sounds like a personal problem. And so he just kind of grinned like, okay, you can hang, you can handle the stuff, not take it too seriously, not be offended. And honestly, that really helped because we kind of had a, we, we just had a good, respectful relationship. And one of my proudest moments actually is Barkley had been in Phoenix for a long time and his success really grew while he was there and it was getting to him. And there was a time where he spit on a fan and I, I can't remember if he got arrested. I don't know. It, things were not going well for him for a while. And it was his birthday. Anytime one of the athletes had a birthday, I would like bake them Rice Krispie treats or make them a pie. When their wife had a baby, I would give them a little care package. And it was his birthday. And I was like, okay, I got to get, I made him Rice Krispie treats. I have to get a birthday card. And so I want to get a really funny birthday card. It's Barkley. I want to laugh. And I saw this card called What is Success? And it's a poem by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And it's all about what success is. And Apparently he liked it because I ended up getting another job. I moved to Ohio. I remember being on a date with a guy. I'm at a bar and they have ESPN on and Roy Firestone has, I forgot the name of his show. So the sound is down, but they're in the Phoenix Suns locker room interviewing Barkley and they weren't allowed to keep anything in their locker. He had a picture of his daughter and he opened his locker and there was my card. What is success? Wow. Wow. And so I couldn't tell what they were saying, but I know that he was talking about it. And the guy I was on a date with, I'm like, I gave him that card. Oh, oh my gosh. So it was kind of cool. We, we just, we had a respectful relationship. But okay. So how long are you in Arizona for? Three years. It, it, well, it seems like three years is your year. A three-year thing. I was in Milwaukee for three years. I was in Rockford for three. Yeah. That is, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And because I, I, I really wanted to just keep advancing myself and I didn't want to get stuck in one place for too long, regardless of how successful we were. I always wanted to come back home to Chicago. That was always my dream. In fact, I, a few years ago, saw, I found a journal where when I was going to Columbia College and listening to Chicago radio, I wrote, I will be on a number one morning show wow. in Chicago. Oh my gosh, and that's what I you did. Had totally forgotten that I wrote that down. So that's another a- lesson to everybody, there is power in manifesting your wishes, especially when you write it down. I had totally forgotten about it. And I always knew that I just I wanted to come back to Chicago. So I ended up going to Ohio. I You're was in Ohio. At the Morning Zoo in Columbus. I was at the Morning Zoo. It was a really popular station. This is the first job they offered me. They like tripled my salary. I was still working paycheck to paycheck. And I was like, wait, I'm going to have money left over. So I took that job. It was not a good fit. They wanted three personalities on the air, the dork, the dick and the deer. Mm -hmm. And they wanted me to be the deer. They wanted me to be Kathy Lee Gifford. And that's not me. I wanted to be the dick. I wanted to be a combination of the dick and the deer because I can be both. (laughs) So uh, that did not work out. So I only had a one-year contract and I left Ohio, came back home with no job. I call my parents. I'm in my early thirties, early thirties. Can I move back in? Because my dad and my stepmom were in Chicago at that time. And I moved back in with them. I reached out to Brian Kelly, who was a program director in Milwaukee. And he was in Chicago at that time. And he ended up getting me on the air at the mix. And I was doing fill-in and weekends. And this is at the time when they had a morning show. Comedians on the air were popular at that time. Patterson and Falconberry were doing the morning show. And apparently- they, Wait, what year was this? Ninety. They were on the air in 94, I moved back to Chicago in 95. And so they ended up getting fired because they were offensive to women and women is the prime demo for that radio station. So I was doing the morning show. I was just doing fill-in for the morning show until I realized, I said, okay, this is fun and this could work, but I need a partner. I I can't do this by myself, it's exhausting. And so, and, and plus the conversation will be much better if there's someone else in the studio besides the traffic guy. Andy Mazur was working in a studio. Wait, not- Andy
0: Mazur, the Cubs guy? Yes. The sports reporter? The sports reporter. Oh,
1: okay. Now I've got to interview him. Okay. Yeah. He was our traffic guy in 1995 and he was working off site and I need eye contact with someone. And uh, and then our news guy Barry Keefe was a great guy, but he's doing news. I can't talk to him the whole time because he's got to prepare his news. And so then that's when we brought in a partner. And what was it like to
0: I mean, you obviously paid your dues. Okay, I have a lot of respect for people who pay their dues. And I know that people who are older in media, they did pay their dues. Okay, but what was it like to pay your dues and then land at an incredible point? Like the number one, probably one of the
1: top in America, right? It became that way. Yeah. Yeah. The success of our morning show, um, it, it blew my mind. Like it just, to, to this day, it still does, you know, our, our success and now we worked for it and I will give my partner credit. He was brilliant and knew the business and, uh, was a big reason for our success, but we as a team, is really what it took. There were so many different personalities that brought different perspective. And it was just a well-rounded show. We were authentic and fun and interesting. And we were just, yeah, we were just, we were real.
0: So what was it like to come back? So how many years were you away from Chicago?
1: Well, I mean, I went to Columbia College and then i was in rockford so i really wasn't in chicago right and so that was about 13 years wow. when you left chicago to pursue your career
0: and when you came back what are some, what are some things that you learned you know that you felt like you changed or your insights or whatever after living in other places
1: i think just the you know i was a little more well rounded in being a broadcaster but i just i stayed true to being authentic and Not being afraid to to look stupid, sound stupid, make mistakes. God, they teased me all the time. One of the most embarrassing things, talk about Chicago, was, um, I just remembered, I can't believe I'm admitting this, but this is who I was. I was doing the feature called Entertainment Chicago, and there was something at St. Ignatius Church. And uh, I said Ignatius. Oh, ignatius. Okay. Well, that is, it could
0: be pronounced that way in certain dialects, I guess.
1: Yeah, no. No. (laughs) I got obliterated for that. And here's what you have to do. Like, I couldn't get all defensive and well, it could have. I'm like, no, you own it. That was a stupid ass thing. You are an idiot. How can you like, especially because I'm Catholic? Like, anyway. Yeah. So you, you just had to, you had to roll with it. You had to laugh. Another most embarrassing. Well, what would be good
0: is if they captured that and then they replay it later, you know,
1: did they do that? That's what my partner was really good at. Okay. So, there was one time Paul Rudd and Jason Siegel were in the studio. I can't remember the movie they were promoting. They did so many movies together, but Oh, it was ugh, I just forgot which one it was, but it was the one with Lou Ferrigno in it. And they were telling the story on the air in the studio about how excited they were the day that Lou Ferrigno was on set because they grew up, you know, watching him in what was Lou Ferrigno the character that he played? Oh in no, the, um, you mean the Hulk? The Hulk. Geez, my son watches The Flash, and I had The Flash yeah. in my mind. So they were so excited about the Hulk coming in in on set that day, and they were going to be recording the scene with the Hulk. And I just barely remember the Hulk as a child. I just remember the Hulk being like the doll. Oh. And like this big, strong guy that talked funny. And so they tell their story about how excited they were about the Hulk. And I was like, Yeah, I'm like, and does he really talk like that? Paul Rudd and Jason Siegel look at each other, they look at Eric, and I'm like, What? They're like, um, yeah, he's he's deaf. That's why he talks like that. I'm like, right. We okay. didn't know he was deaf. Yeah. I was like, no, I was so embarrassed. And then they started laughing about it because it was totally innocent. I did not mean it to be mean at all in any way. Yeah, I was horrified. Okay. They played that clip forever. Okay. How I embarrassed Paul Rudd and Jason Segel.
0: But how did the listeners <laughs> respond to that? When, when they played
1: Drops of You or whatever? They laughed. They thought it okay. was
0: hilarious.
1: And that's when you just have to own it yeah. and have fun and, and just have fun with it. What else can you do? Yeah.
0: Well, okay. Now, uh, you know, you were saying nowadays, I think it's more common
1: to have women on the air, but when I first started, women pretty much only did the midday show and traffic on the morning show, maybe news, but not really. It was typically men. I actually started working in radio when they didn't even play two female artists back to back. Oh, we can't have two women. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, and, and this is back when we could still program a little bit, like there was a, there was a system with three by five cards Mm -hmm. on what songs we played. So uh, it was, it was nice to just. But that was based on research that you couldn't play two females in a row because they just, you know, females were still such a minority Mm. then even female singers and the mindset of programmers back then was we don't want two females back to back.
0: Can you believe that? No, because look, look at Motown. There's so many, there's so many female singers that influenced uh, rock and roll that influenced history. I'm sorry. That influenced music that's playing today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about Pat Benatar. I just saw her on the hall of fame awards and, or yeah, rock and roll music Hall of fame. And um, they, man, She was so great, but we, yeah, we couldn't play two female artists back to back.
0: You're listening to the Radio Girl Podcast with Margaret Larkin. And thanks to Jeff Davis, who's at jeffdavis.com. And in addition to my Radio Girl interviews, I'm still doing interviews for the Illinois News Broadcasters Association at INBA.net, and I'm still live streaming. All of my videos
1: are at YouTube slash Margaret Larkin. You know, I, I go back to Terry Hemmer. She's an idol of mine. And look at her success on XRT. Right. You know, she she was a trailblazer for sure.
0: That's true. Because I did interview her for my podcast some years ago. And she described her journey. And I was literally trying not to cry. Because it was so moving, so human. She's so gracious. She's yeah. nice to
1: everybody. Yep. It does not matter who the person is. She was getting an award and I was asked to present it and Margaret, I lost it. Like I'm at the podium in front of all these people. And I started crying because in fact, I might tear up now thinking about it. I was just this girl that grew up listening to WLS radio. And, you know, I, I just, I was a, I was a middle child. I, I was never pretty, I was never an athlete. I just was there. You know, I I I didn't have boyfriends really growing up. I was just Kathy. I was fun to be around. And so I just I always felt kind of unimportant. And for me to not only have my own success in radio, but to be asked to present her award, it, that was such a big moment for me. We've, you know, we received a lot of awards on our morning show mm-hmm. and we even got elected into the hall of fame. Huge. But I'm telling you, that was one of the moments that touched me the most. Cause I was like, Mary Yeah, They wanted me to present an award to Terry Hammert. And I started crying cause it was yeah. just this moment. And yeah. And, and a lot of it had to do with females in the industry that became successful. And that truly, that was one of my proudest moments in radio. Well,
0: I mean, really, you achieved what most people on this planet have did not achieve because you got to the top of an industry and you were so extremely successful. And I don't even know if anybody can top that seriously. I mean, I don't even know if any woman I should say, because of course there, we know some, you know, the guys are really successful. Um, man, I hope
1: that's not true. I I really do. I I hope that other women just, just get out there. And really, I think a part of it is to, you have to try, you have to put effort in, but it was never my goal. It, I wanted to be successful, of course, in my job, I I wanted to do the best I could in my job. But these awards and accolades were, were never a goal. I was so damn happy just being on the radio in Chicago because that was my goal. That to me was the success and having fun and laughing. And, you know, I never took myself that seriously. And there were, there were things I'm writing a memoir now and I'm writing about how I did have to become a certain character Right, And, you know, it's talking about the Ohio station where I had to be the deer and that was not authentic. And I didn't, I didn't want to do that, but I knew if I wanted a job and I wanted to keep my job, I had to be the deer. And so there were times that I felt I compromised my integrity. I should have set boundaries with things and I had to balance that with what I knew it was going to take to be successful, but for you, you don't like the persona. You're it's not you. It's not I, no because it's just it's not authentic. It's yeah. not authentic. So I did have to find the balance between what was expected of me as a personality, and my own personal integrity, morals, and it was it was difficult for a while, and I just. Felt like I did what I had to do to succeed. And that's one of the things I'm writing about in my book. And then I'm really passionate about getting wellness out because I went through this mold illness. My kids are diagnosed with Lyme disease and I was one of those people that I just had to get to the bottom of it. I'm like, wait, why? Okay. I know I have adrenal fatigue and I know I have headaches. What's causing them? My kids are some diagnosed ADHD what's causing that? This is not right. We're going through stuff that we did not go through when, when we were growing up, something is happening to our bodies. What is it? So I, for over 10 years, I've done medical research and that's what I wanted to put on my website for people that are struggling with autoimmune, chronic illness, mold, Lyme, or just not getting answers. I put everything that I've learned onto that. And website. What's your website? Gritology. It's all about healing with grit and grace and the ology is the science behind all of this. And uh, it's that's why I wanted to get that out there, grit ology. So you can find stuff about healing from mold, lime. There's um, faith-based aspect to it as well, because that was a big part of my healing. And recipes, got to have recipes on a website. There's a podcast, a blog. Yeah. So I'm just trying to put as much stuff on there as I can. What's the faith aspect? Um, Do you, are you, you said you're Catholic? I was Catholic. Uh, I, I, I really didn't learn a lot when I was going, you know, I grew up even going to Catholic school and I just, I didn't learn a lot because it wasn't, it wasn't getting, I was not in a point in my life where I needed it. I went to Catholic church because I was supposed to. Mm -hmm. So when I was in a part of my life where I was going through a, a pretty bad storm, I my mom passed away. I got diagnosed with that mold illness. Uh, I had to treat it as if I I had to move out of my house, treat it as if I had a fire because everything was contaminated and I couldn't bring it into a new house. Um, my kids got diagnosed with Lyme disease. That's when I went on medical leave, ended up losing my job, ended up getting divorced. So I had this big storm and- Going to church, I found a non denominational church and it was speaking to me. The pastors in their message were speaking to me. And it got in in Montana. This was actually back home. So this was Willow Creek Church. Mm -hmm. And I remember my husband at the time asked if I wanted to go to church with him because I was still trying to figure out if I wanted to find a, a Catholic church. And he asked if I wanted to go. I'm like, is that that church where they're all like? I'm like, isn't that like a cult church? <laughs> it's like, that's just weird. Growing up Catholic, you don't you don't have a band and you don't do all this stuff. But I went and it really opened my eyes to so many things in the Bible that spoke to me, based on how the pastor gave the message. And I was at a time in my life where I was broken and and I needed this and. That was the only thing that made me feel unconditionally loved, supported, where I could go and just be completely vulnerable and be healed. Hmm. And it was a huge part of my healing. Hmm. And sorry, are you still going to church in
0: Montana? I'm asking this because my friends' parents live in Montana and they go to church in Montana.
1: Not to, I don't oh, think it's. Yeah. So I found a church similar. It's called Journey Church in Bozeman and it's growing so fast. It's a great church. I even, uh, volunteer there. I serve, I'm a greeter and I just, I really enjoy being involved and and giving back. Yeah. Cause I
0: mean, when I'm talking, I've interviewed a lot of people and when I'm talking to you, I feel like you have this incredible love and peace and, uh, you seem very stable and i never met you before. Okay. I mean, except for that one time many years ago, but I, I don't, I didn't know you. I just knew you through Brian what Brian said, but I feel really good. Like about what you're saying. And I I feel like you, you seem like a very caring person.
1: What I learned was, and and this was through the church and through, I I couldn't be a Bible reader. I couldn't just open the Bible and just read because it was so overwhelming and confusing. So I got into a a Bible app and you can do Bible studies where it's just so much more uh, in tune with real life and how to connect some script scripture to your real life and apply it to your real life. That's what I needed. I needed to apply what I was reading. So we were in a series about love everyone always. And I was in a particular storm with someone in my life back in Chicago that I um, was brought to tears almost every day. And this person was very difficult to love because I there was just so much pain and, and so much emotional trauma. And so I remember being in a yoga class and it was around Valentine's and she said, okay, she's one of those bubbly instructors. And she said, okay, it's all about, it's all about love this week. So you can dedicate your practice today to loving yourself, um, loving others. Or loving someone who's hard to love. And someone came to mind immediately and I'm like, oh, F no. Am I going to dedicate my practice to that person? And I'm like, yeah, I'm all about self-love. I need some self-love right now. (laughs) But then something was gnawing at me about that message I got from the pastor about loving your enemy and loving those who hurt you. And I was like, whatever, fine. It's one hour. I'll do it. I'll dedicate my practice to loving him. And so I got to this place where I was actually sending them love. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you. (laughs) That day changed my life. Mm -hmm. It changed my life when I stopped being a victim. And. I understood how hurt people hurt and I did not want to be bitter and angry and hurt. And I could go on and on about all the signs that God gave me after that day, but on the drive home, I got a very clear sign from God. And I just I I cried the whole way home. It was an uncontrollable as you can see, it still gets me emotional. It was the biggest release I've ever felt in my life. And I know a lot of people have trouble giving other people love that have hurt them. And there's clear boundaries there when you're thinking about someone that has hurt you. But it, when I could actually take the victim hat off, and, and pray for that person and pray love into that person's heart. It took bitterness away. It took anger away and it freed me. It freed me. And that's why I am the way I am now that I I'm just so carefree and I'm loving. And I, I give grace and empathy to everybody because we're all hurting on some level. And who am I going to be? Am I going to be a person that's going to make them hurt worse and, you know, be angry and bitter and defensive and just a jerk? Or am I going to give people grace when they need it most? There's something about forgiveness that you, I mean, when you think about it, if you don't forgive, it's a burden on you. There's a, there's a clear definition in forgiving. Forgiving is not releasing them at all. It's releasing you. You can take this backpack off of burden that you're carrying around being hurt and not forgiving this person and holding this grudge and being angry. When you release that, when you forgive them, and, and it doesn't necessarily even mean forget because a lot of times you cannot forget the pain. But when you forgive, you're, you're releasing yourself. And that is just, and that's why I cried so much that day. It was an overwhelming release of burden after years. That's great, And it was wonderful.
0: Yeah. That's what you've seen that. That's what I'm saying. Like I said, I don't like other than meeting you for two seconds, many years ago, I can feel that you are free and you are Uh, you know, you're probably on an incredible path in luxury in Montana, but you know, it's just, you feel, you just seem like, um, you are very open and, you know, even through the screen, I can feel a connection. It's really
1: great. I think it's very inspiring. I'm just, I'm at peace and I. When you can release that stuff and, again, take the victim hat off and recognize the experience you went through, heal from the experience, but but don't let it keep you down and, and don't let it identify you, that's when you grow. And I've grown so much after that day and just uh, being able to be comfortable with who I am and being at peace. And the only thing that did that was... Church and and being a believer and uh, really diving into Bible studies and things that helped me remember that we are here on this earth to just love one another. Let
0: me know what you think. Email me at margaret at radiogirl.us. You can also call or text me at 716-202-TALK. That's 8255. And like the Radio Girl Facebook page, you can find out about who's coming up next, see pictures, listen to audio, and more.